Recently, I was reading a little bit of Dostoevsky in his novel, The Brothers Karamazov. And in the novel, there's a poem that one of the brothers narrates. And in the poem, he says that Christ, alayhi salam, has come back to earth. And the Grand Inquisitor, you know, the person in the Catholic Church that's in charge of, you know, doctrine and orthodoxy and he, he finds Christ and then he arrests him. And he throws Christ in jail. And he says, you know, we don't, we, you're going to mess everything up now. You're going to mess up. We don't need you in the church anymore. You know, you've messed everything up. And he incarcerates him and then he starts like arguing with Christ saying that, you know, you messed up with, with uh, the uh, satanic um, uh, whisperings, you know, the temptations. You failed those tests. You should have answered this way. So, you know... We respect you and everything, but we, we, you can't show your face. You know, we're going we're gonna to lock you up. And this poem, it's called The Grand Inquisitor, if you want to, to read. It's very short. Now, of course, you know, this got Dostoevsky in a lot of trouble. But other, that's, this is not a class in literature. But why am I saying this? When I read this, I thought that that was a very uh, powerful, reflective tool. And I asked myself, because, you know, Christians, they also believe in the return of Christ. We believe in the return of Christ, salam. And I asked myself, you know, what, what would really happen right now if, if Christ came? You know, how, how, would we, how would we be? Would we deny Him? Not just the Christians, but, you know, Dostoevsky was, was poking at the, at the church. You know, he had his own gripe with them. And then I started thinking, well, you know, what if the Prophet, salam himself was here right now? And he came back. Now, we don't believe that he's coming back. But as a reflective tool, as a question, I asked myself, what would happen if he came right now, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Would we be friend or pretender? Would we be follower or liar? You know, how, how, would we, how do we measure up? I thought that was very chilling, that notion, just trying to wrap my head around what that would be like if Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, walked in right now to the masjid and we were there to receive him, what would, our, what would it be like for us? Would we be like this grand inquisitor? And this is not to, to poke at the church or, or anything like that. that was, I'm just citing this as a, to instigate this way of thinking. Would we be like that person? Would we would be like, oh, you're going to mess everything up now? Or would we, you know, would we embrace him and, with love and, and so on and so forth? And as I tried to wrap my head around what, I mean, it's scary and happy at the same time, but as I tried to wrap my head around that, I remembered something that we were taught, what some of my teachers taught me. This, we have this principle in Islam that says, Al-Islamu awsa'u min al-Muslimin. That Islam as a religion is bigger, is wider, is more expansive than the Muslims themselves. And you know, when we study these things, you've got to memorize them and you, know, you just cite them back when the time comes. But sometimes you don't, I don't, you don't really pause and think about what that means. And then I thought about this, this principle I th I, and I reflected upon this. And I came up with three points that helped me understand how we would be if the Prophet ﷺ came back. Or Christ or you know, any, any type of, uh, of these luminary figures that we ask as a reflective question. The first thing I realized is that our entire practice of Islam is infused with the concept of humility. When we pray, the first thing that we do after we do salam, what's the first thing that we say after we pray? 
Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. But we just prayed. You should be happy. You should be like, oh yeah, I'm done. You know, I, I can, all the sins of the morning gone, I prayed. But the Prophet taught us that after we pray, you know, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. Because the prayer, no matter how much you focus, no matter how prepared you are, no matter what you recite, it's always going to be deficient because we are, Allah made us deficient. The human condition is human. We are bound by the human condition. So we say astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah because of the niqsan, because of the, the, the errors, any error, any spiritual error, small or big, that happened in the prayer. That as we engage in the act of qurba, we also ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for His forgiveness. When you break your fast in Ramadan, one of the dua, you know, is that you ask, inshaAllah, you know, thabat al-ajr, inshaAllah. The Prophet ﷺ would say, inshaAllah, the reward has been established. You know, you've been thirsty and hungry and your breath stinks all day and you've been avoiding your co-workers and all of that. And then you come to break your fast, but still, there's that portion of you that says, Ya Rabb, inshaAllah, this day counted for me. Inshaallah, I didn't do anything to negate my fast. Because the fast is not the fast of the food and the drink, right? The fast is the fast of the heart. The Prophet ﷺ said that somebody can fast during the day of Ramadan, or in general, and they curse this person, and they curse that person, and they lied here, and they stole there, and all they get from their fast is that they were hungry. So the point of the fast is not to be hungry and thirsty. The point is to elevate our humanity. So the, fat, the food and drink is like a step to that. Because the caloric intake that we take, of, of course, more than we should throughout the year, kind of dummies those senses. We'll talk about that later as Ramadan comes. But this is an example. You know, you give the zakah, inshallah. You know, you perform the hajj, you perform the umrah, you know, inshallah. We're always saying inshallah, inshallah. And I realized that everything that we do in our religious life is infused with this concept of humility. That we don't know fundamentally if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept this or accept that. But we try our best. And we are optimistic always. The believer is always optimistic in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. And one of the sages of the ummah, he has this principle to this effect. And he says that if a sin that causes you to be humble is better than a good deed that causes you to be arrogant. Imagine, think of that. You can sin, you can do the wrong thing, but it breaks you. You feel bad, you feel remorseful, you're embarrassed from yourself. Allah has sealed it, concealed it from people, but still you're embarrassed that Allah has given you all of this health and wealth and bounty, etc. But then you used it to do something wrong. You want to stop the sin, but you can't. That feeling is better you know, than uh, praying qiyam and, and reading the Qur'an, leading you to be, look, I'm better than everyone. Look, I memorized the Qur'an now. Look, I stay up at night and pray. Look, I went and I volunteered and I did this. Look, I gave the khutbah, I did that, I did this. And people came and said this. It becomes, you become arrogant. You've lost the point. You've lost the point altogether. And we're going to come back to this. So everything that we do is infused with humility. It's not the outward that counts. What Dostoevsky was saying was that this, this character in the, in the story, in the poem that arrests Christ, he was judging the relationship between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the outward. Look, we've set up the system. People got to pay money. We forgive their sins when they pay money. You know, and uh, indulgences and all of this stuff. We got the church now. We got our wealth now. You can't come and mess this up. But that's not what religion is. 
Religion is not brick and mortar. Right? Religion is the Qur'an, the message of the Qur'an, the message of the Prophet ﷺ that we carry here, right? in our sulukiyat, in our, the way we interact with each other. The second thing it reminded me of, this, this question, this reflective question, what would happen if the Prophet ﷺ was there in front of me right now, is I realized this statement that Islam is bigger than the Muslims, that our entire religion, our sharia, is essentially man-made. It is built on the ijtihad of the ulama before us. And in the whole religion, everything that we do when we pray, when you guys come and ask me questions about this and about all that fiqh stuff, that's all man-made. Meaning, it is the human agent trying to understand what is in the Qur'an and the sunnah. What we call al-ijtihad. And at the end of each ijtihad, at the end of each fatwa, that anybody over the history of Islam has given, they end with this one phrase, Wallahu alam, and Allah knows best. Because when you engage in this ijtihad, when you engage in this effort to understand the, the kitab, to understand the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, you are saying, this is my best guess. I've used all the tools that I have. I've tried sincerely to understand this. And Allah knows best, I think this is the answer. I'm pretty certain that I'm right. And I'm pretty certain that somebody else's ijtihad is wrong. But there is a possibility that I am wrong and they are right. And I thought that, that was, that's unbelievable. You know, one of my professors at Princeton, his thesis was on this. You know, the, the, the sharia is based on this concept of probability. And it's very astute observation that what we know as the madhahib and fiqh and all of this, you know, uh, ijtihad of the past, all human effort. Now, human effort based on certain principles and human effort that's stood the test of time. So this is not like your human effort, my human effort, Imam Shafi's human effort. No. These people had a knowledge of the language and its sciences, a, a, a knowledge of logic, a knowledge of reason, a, a knowledge of tafsir, a knowledge of hadith, ilm al-rijal, you know, the people that narrate. I mean, they got to know a lot of stuff to be able to be at the big leagues. That's the major leagues to be able to do ijtihad. But everything that we know about our religion is based on that. Meaning that there could be things that we do not understand, that we do not comprehend, that situations that have not presented themselves to us now. People now that are Muslims, but they do not, if they appeared in front of us, we wouldn't even say that they're Muslim. But their relationship between them and their creator is the relationship of Islam. But their condition, their cultural conditions or baggage or whatever is something that we wouldn't recognize. But with Allah they are Muslims, that's all that matters. Not with us, we don't define who's the Muslim. Allah is the one that defines that. So this principle, al-Islam, that Islam is wider and bigger and more expansive than Muslims, means, again, with humility, we approach how we understand our religion and how we apply it. And acknowledge that in our deduction... I'm not talking about uh, doubt of the Qur'an or the Sunnah. I'm not talking about that. But in our understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, there's a possibility that we don't know enough. Not a possibility. For sure we don't know enough because this is of the divine origin. And our understanding is only going to be partial for right now. You know, what happens when a group of Muslims goes with Elon Musk to Mars? That's going to be a whole other situation. You know, where's the qibla, where's the timing, how do you follow that side, I don't know. But that might happen, that might happen. And there'll be all these scenarios 
in the future that we've not even comprehended. That we have not even comprehended. So again, our faith infuses in our understanding this idea of humility. And the third point, I realize that our faith is not a faith of ordination. We have no church and ecclesiastical uh, um, you know, communion of, of, of ordained priests, for example, or high priests. Those, those are ordained by the church. There's a ceremony. They're ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they are, you know, they have a liturgical role. Our way is the way of initiation. That we bring people into the club that we call Islam. And this initiation is what we, what we call the ijazah. And the ijazah are many kind. You hear the hadith from the Prophet ﷺ with the sanad going back to the Prophet ﷺ. You have the ijazah, you have this blessed link. So we're all part of the club. The more in the club, the happier we are. But I have no special role over you and you have no special role over me. Maybe I know a little bit more in certain areas so I stand and I give the khutbah but that doesn't mean I'm better or I'm closer or I'm mightier or I'm more special. No. You know, you want your du'a answered? Ask your parents for du'a. Don't ask me for du'a. Ask your parents for du'a because the du'a of the parent to the child is answered. You want your du'a to be answered? Eat halal. The Prophet said, Atab matamak takun mustajab du'a. Make your eating halal. Allah will answer your prayer. You don't need to come to me. I have no special wasta, special shortcut to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the way of initiation, which means that anyone amongst us, anyone amongst us can lead the prayer. Anyone amongst us can make dua and it's answered. Anyone amongst us can learn and then can teach this subject or that subject. We're all initiated. We're all members of this big club called Islam. So then I go back to this original principle or this original concept that Islam is bigger than the Muslims. And I realized that to understand all of that is to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not judging us by what we do on the outside. Although we do not negate the outside because that is the sharia and that is the way of the Prophet but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala judges us on what's on the inside. Allah says when you slaughter this sacrificial animal for the Eid and things like that, you're not feeding Allah, hasha, but Allah is getting the qurba, your act from what's on the inside. This is what is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then I realized something else. That most of you in this room, most of us, I would say all of us, know more about Islam than many of the Sahaba. There were companions of the Prophet ﷺ who had not memorized any Qur'an. There were companions of the Prophet ﷺ that did not have prayed one rakah in Islam. They became Muslim on the eve of battle, went into battle and died. Now you know more than them. You know the Fatiha. They don't even know the Fatiha. You know how to make wudu. They don't know how to make wudu. You've prayed. They don't know how to pray. But none of us would say that we are better than they are. 
And if those companions that didn't know any Qur'an, that didn't pray one rak'ah, that didn't make one wudu, nothing, if they were here right now, we would all hug them and kiss them and you know, bring out the, our best wares and tell us what it was it like being with him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That is the answer. That is what this religion is about. It's on the inside. Those people are infinitely better than us, more courageous than us, simply because they saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and they were accepted by him, and they lived with him, and they were transformed by him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But it wasn't by some long list of things they memorized and they studied and they did that they are some, somehow of that rank. That this religion really grounds you. It really brings you down to earth. And this is the secret of Islam. Man Whoever abases themselves for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala will elevate you. And Luqman, he advises his son, he said, don't be arrogant, don't walk around. Don't be so boastful. Walk with humility. Allah says, Rahman, the servants of the merciful one, they, they walk around humbly. You know, they're not in road rage, they don't stick out their middle finger when they get cut off, they don't yell, they don't try to steal the parking spot. You know, all of these frivolous things that have now defined our community and our society. Look, we've all done it. I mean, I fought for parking spots too. Any, anything to get closer to the door. But it's a reminder. This is the, the Jummah is the reminder. Why should we do that? This is not the, the servants of the merciful. Who cares if you're you know, five parking spots away? To walk peacefully. But when, the, when people that are annoying you come and talk to you, they say peace. Your response is peace. As long as we hold on to that, if you ask yourself this question, what would I be like or what would happen if the Prophet ﷺ was here right now, I think we'll be okay, inshallah. But if we think somehow that Islam belongs to us, that we've made it, we own it, it's mine and you've got to believe in what I say and what I do, then we're in for trouble. Then we would be threatened by the thought if the Prophet ﷺ came back, we would be threatened by that, like the Grand Inquisitor. Because they built something that Christ didn't tell them to build. That was the point of the poem. Have we built something that the Prophet ﷺ okayed and gave us the green light for? Or have we created all of this nonsense? I think this community, I think we've done our best to build something that is reflective of the prophetic model. But to be honest, there are a lot of communities who have not done that. And those communities, if people hear this message... This is a reminder to come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this religion belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, does not belong to us. And we have no right to dictate who's in and who's out. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower us with His mercy and humility.